This is Mike Spritzer from Devil Driver, and you're listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. I'm Bruce. And this is Rina from Silentium, still guest hosting. So nice to be with you guys. And this is Chris, and because Bruce doesn't really know the name of his own podcast... This is the Brutally Delicious Podcast. I just fly by the seat of my pants, dude. Yeah, apparently you moan like it, too. <laughs> Jesus. Go back to that again. Hey, so, so do me a favor. If I start doing that, I have the, the Facebook chat open. Send me a message that says I'm doing it. Okay. I want to catch myself because I haven't heard it yet. <laughs> it might be your, mic, your mic might be auto-adjusting gain. Maybe that's what's happening. I don't know. I mean, the dog is on the bed right next to me, but I don't know. Yeah, sure. Blame it on the dog. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But anyway, today we're going to be speaking with Mike from Devil Driver. And I don't know if you've had a chance to check out this new stuff, but so it's good. really cool. Holy shit. Yeah, it was. Um, and I think Nesta Vipers just punished me. Yeah. And I think I was just telling you, I saw them on the main deck of the uh, or the main pool deck there on 70,000 tons. And yeah. I was fucking blown away. Oh, I bet. I bet you the place just fucking erupted too. Oh yeah, they're uh, they're quite a great live band. So if you want to hang on, we're gonna go ahead and get Mike on the line. Let me add him here. Hey, Mike, how you doing? It's Bruce Moore from the Brutally Delicious Podcast. How are you? Good. How you doing, bro? I'm doing great. Hey, I've got my partner Chris and a guest with us today, Rena from Finland. Say hello, everyone. Hello. Hi. How are you doing, Mike? Good. How are you doing? I'm pretty all right. Where are you at? I am outside of Los Angeles in a city called Torrance. Oh, okay. Oh man, are you are you getting smoked out right now? <laughs> That's what the, la- the the guy in the last interview asked me. Luckily, I'm in an area that's th- not threatened by wildfires whatsoever. Oh, cool. But I did go outside yesterday, and there's quite a bit of ash everywhere i just had to hose my car off today to get all the ash off of it damn well i'm glad you're safe yeah luckily i'm one of the lucky few around here that doesn't have to worry about that yeah lucky for all of us it's only gonna get worse from now on probably hey there's a positive (laughs) attitude (laughs) wow that's a good way to start this whole thing yeah You're talking to Finn, and we are down, like, we're starting the dark period now. There's zero chance of snow for the exact same reason why the the whole city is on fire (laughs) in California. (laughs) So, like, we don't even now get, like, you know, the snow that would reflect some light. So it's complete fucking darkness for eight months. So don't expect positive attitudes from this (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So, Mike, had a chance to listen to the record, and I'm fucking blown away. I love it. Are you uh, just as happy with it now that you've had a chance to sit with it? Yes. This is the happiest I've been with a record since Last Kind Words, our third record. Wow. Right. That, that's, that's saying a lot. What, what, what makes you so happy with it? It just seemed to come together a lot better this time than previous records. And one of the big things that I think helped the record was one was working with steve evitz he like honestly i don't ever want to work with a different producer ever again because he's for one thing he's only about 30 minutes away from me 
and we've become pretty close friends in uh, the two records that we've worked on together. Well, three now, if you count this one as two. And he, one thing that we did that we didn't do on previous records was actually as a band get together and do pre-production. And that was only me, Neil, Austin, and Steve. And, you know, Des would pop in from time to time and see how things were going. And, you know, he had, you know, the demos that he had been listening to already. But Steve really, he made us learn all the songs, the three of us. And the pre-production, he really worked Austin a lot. He really pushed Austin, Austin to, you know, to switch things up, do different things. And most of the pre-production was for Austin. And, but other than that, it's just, it's an easy process with Steve. You know, he's got a lot of the same work ethic that Neil and I have. And there wasn't a single argument ever, you know, between the band, between us and Steve, nothing. It was just, it was one of the most fun records I've ever done. And I think that, that shows in the end product. I'm just looking right. at Steve's credits here, and it's safe to say he kind of knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, he definitely knows what he's doing. And one of the cool things is, is because of his age, he started recording when you know Pro Tools wasn't around, and he recorded to tape. Yeah, and right. he doesn't dismiss modern technology at all. But having him in the studio is kind of having this old school vibe and this new school vibe. It's like this hybrid of awesomeness in a producer that I really, really like. Did you record the tape? No, no, we didn't do that. Steve was tinkering with the idea of, he does have a tape machine. He was tinkering with the idea of, you know, mixing down onto tape, you know, and then, bouncing it back to pro tools before we'd give it to our mastering engineer. Right. But in the, in the, the grand scheme of things toward the end, I asked him how it was going and he, he was like, dude, I'll never do a double record with any band ever again. It's, <laughs> it's just too many songs. And, you know, I'm, I've mixed records. And I think when I did the Wednesday record, there was somewhere between 12 and 14 songs. And that's a good amount of work. I can't imagine how long it, you know, the amount of work it takes to do 20. It's just, it's a, it's a lot of music and not to say that he didn't have fun doing it, but I just don't think he ever wants to take on. Right. Like that ever. And I don't blame him. I'd, feel the same way i mean if des was like all right we're going to do another double record like, <laughs> fuck no or not i mean even How if you're a mixing a sheet? even if you mix a song a day and you call it at the end of the day that's like almost a three month. weeks of work yeah probably closer to a month because the first mix always takes the longest absolutely every other mix after that is you know you have your template and you're kind of ready to go but you know, I'm in the middle of mixing this song right now from the, the first song of this record I'm mixing right now from this band, Tortured Saint, and I'm already on, like, day four of trying to get the first song the way I want it to sound. Yeah, and, I hear ya. You know, and then once I get the band's approval and they like that first song, it's like, okay, you know, the rest of this is going to be pretty easy because I know what they want. Right. Yeah, it takes a while. Like you say, that first track takes a bit. I when I mix, I've, I've been mixing a lot lately. And but I I would like to do three songs, but mostly I just get one. Like a band's like, hey, we did this song, mix it and master it. We did this song, mix it and master it. So you spend more time, you know, because of that. 
Yeah, you do. What is uh, what was your writing process like for this record because of the uh, whole pandemic thing? Were you guys more reliant on the digital realm instead of getting together, or how did that work out? The whole record was done about a year before the pandemic hit. Oh, okay. So a lot of people think, you know, a lot. Rightfully so, a lot of people are thinking that we wrote the song Keep Away From Me because of the pandemic, but that had nothing. That song was written, recorded, and mastered everything. We didn't change the title, and we knew that was going to be the first single off the first record. It just was a coincidence that it tied into the whole social distancing thing going on right now. And obviously the video was made because of the pandemic, but the, so the song wasn't written about it at all. Right. Yeah, some of us just enjoy people keeping their distance as <laughs> you know, default setting of life. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's actually kind of a dream come true because I'm like, dude, you know what? Personal space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, no, seriously. I feel you. Like that was like, you know, when this whole thing started and he was like, You can't go to work, you have to work from home, you can't go anywhere to stay and I was like, Oh, what a nightmare. <laughs> You know, like, perfect. I've been waiting for this my entire life. Right. <laughs> See, now she's turning this into a positive thing rather than focusing on the negative. We've got to come around sooner or later. Are you guys, <laughs> is Devil Driver or anyone in particular doing anything different or special to engage with the fans during all this nonsense since you can't tour? Not yet. They're, you know, we had a band meeting over the phone a few days ago and, you know, we're talking about doing a music video and, you know, as a band together. Right. But Des has to be extra careful because Anastasia's wife just got through that whole cancer scare oh, and right. he wants to go through anything even remotely like that again. And our guitar player, Neil, has asthma. And right. So he's high risk and, you know, I'm willing to do it. Austin's willing to do it. You know, ashes is down to do it. So I think we're down, we're going to figure out a way to make it happen, but we're just going to have to be super careful about it. And, sure. you know, Austin or Neil and Dez are just going to have to do their best to stay as far away from the rest of, or everybody there, including the, you know, the crew that's shooting the video, just staying. Oh away. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's actually been some some actually pretty cool um, productions where people have like just done their bits in in separate places, and then it's combined into a video. Whether it be by by dividing the screen into like different bits or whatever, but you know, of, of course, there's like a million ways to do this and keep people safe and still do it. Yeah, so Des is working out the details on that right now. And but no final decisions have been made yet, as of yet. It's it's a strange yeah. time, right? Because you can't tour, you can't really get together and feel safe, and yet you still have a record to promote, and that that's got to be kind of a difficult place to kind of to kind of start from. Yeah, and I'm just taking it. I mean, it is what it is. You know, I find comfort in the fact that we don't have a choice. Yeah. Yeah, true. Everybody's in the same boat, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes making choices is the hardest part. So the choice has already been made. <laughs> true story. Got to live with it. Yeah. So did you guys, when you guys were recording the record, were you using real amps or did you use software amps? How did you approach that? 
most of what was done on this record was all done through real amps and it's another thing that we've never done before is usually in Devil Driver, if you wrote the riff, you know, because even, you know, our old drummer, John, wrote a lot of stuff. Jeff wrote a lot of stuff. Our old bass player wrote a lot of stuff. So for the most part, whoever wrote the riff or the song ended up recording the rhythms for it on both sides, left and right. Yeah. But Steve noticed how much of a difference in tone Neil and I have for some reason when he plays guitar, he gets more low end out, out of it. Yeah. And when I play with the way my right hand is positioned, I get more high end and less low end. So he thought it would be cool to have Neil on one side of rhythms and me on the other. And we used, you know, Neil would pick a guitar with specific, usually with EMGs in it, and go through an overdrive pedal and an amp. And we had two speaker cabinets set up. One, they're both Mesa boogies, and one had, uh, they both had vintage 30s on the bottom, and then one had cream backs on top, and the other one had green backs on top. Oh, and we kind of went, we went between those two. We either used one or the other. And like my Friedman, Allison Chains, and um, the Jerry Cantrell signature, that one really sounds better through green backs for some reason, but most of the other amps sounded better through green backs, so we ended up using that most of the time. But every song on these, on, on both records, except there's two songs where I, there was one song where I did all the rhythms and there's one song where Neil did all the rhythms, but every other, all the other songs, you know, the other 18 of them, it's all Neil on one side and me on the other. That's oh, wow. That's really and, cool. And thanks for the in-depth look at it. Is there a reason that you, that they, that you were using EMGs? I, Neil was using EMGs and I like EMGs, but, but I've found, I like, Fishman pickups better, and my favorite one right now is the uh, Devin Townsend signature pickup. Oh God, yeah. That I mean, if Devin puts his name on it, you know it's going to be slamming. Um, yeah, I had just gotten it, put it in one of my guitars, and we had already used my guitars with Fluence, the modern Fluences in them, on a, a few songs. And then I got a pair of those, I put them in, and brought it over to the studio. And Steve's eyes and my eyes just lit up when I first. <laughs> Playful, like wow that's a good sounding pickup yeah yeah that's nice and you said you're using mesa boogie amps which ones do you remember uh we used let's see i got my free friedman jj 100 um i got a 5150 block letter oh. um a 6505 plus my pv i also have um a friend let me borrow a 6534 we had a Bogner Ecstasy, a couple Saldanos. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I had, uh, we didn't end up using it, but I have a Marshall JMP1 preamp. We didn't end up using that, though. I also have this preamp called a PV Rockmaster that's basically, it's like one of the highest gain amps I've ever played in my life. Like, you don't need, definitely don't need to put an overdrive in front of that. Um, I have an angle preamp, and I can't I can't remember if we use that or not. But the, and then the one other amp that we use that no one knows what kind of amp it is. But Steve shares his studio with a guy that used to play uh, keys and Nine Inch Nails, and I, th- I believe on the Fragile record cycle. And he had an amp that we're pretty sure was the main rhythm tones on Perfect Circle's first record. Ah. And it has no casing. It's just the guts. 
So he brought in this amp. I don't know. None of us know what it is, but we did end up using it on one or two songs. So there's a lot of different stuff going on. And Steve also likes to put like six microphones onto a uh, onto a speaker cabinet, and you know, sum them into one track through analog summing. But you know, we wouldn't use all six mics at the same time. He'll just kind of blend some in, blend them out, and yeah, absolutely. That's actually I do I do the same thing at my studio now too. I do the same thing. I have a analog summing box, and I got like six to eight mics on a cabinet, and then you know I'll just reamp the guitar through the amp, so I don't have to play at the same time, and I'll just I'll try a little of this mic, you know, bring this one up, this one down until I get a tone that I like, and and it's a lot easier to get a tone that way. We're gonna have to so, put a, we're gonna have to put a warning in front of this segment that says gear porn alert. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. that's what it is. That's so so. <laughs> just last gear question i'm a gearhead so what what reamp box are you using right now have a little abs oh yeah yeah that one is really nice because it serves as a di and in a, as a reamp box so when you want to reamp something rather than recording a di you just press one button on it yeah and as long as everything's hooked up correctly you're reamping then when you stop want to stop reamping you just press one button and then you're back to normal but I also did, this is a really nerdy thing that I did. I recorded, <laughs> um, I think I tried it with, I think, three different DI boxes, a Clark Technique, a Countryman, and my Little Labs. And I would record something, and then I reamped it with the same amp, the, you know, three times. Yeah. And I found both Neil and I, he, I did this test with him. I found that the DI track reamps better with the Little Labs, better than the, the Countryman and the Clark Technique. It actually did sound a fair amount different. Yeah, it's insane how much a DI can affect the uh, the sound afterwards. It's unbelievable. It can. Yeah, because it's going through a transformer and everyone uses different components. Mm-hmm. And you're... You know, it's just going to do different things with the electricity in the long run. Yeah, I'm using an old X-Amp that radio gave me. And the thing I like about it, it has the level feature on it, so you can kind of turn it up or down so it hits the amp properly. Yeah. But, yeah. but uh, the JD7, the, the radio JD7 is also nice, but it's like, it's insane. And um, the But the craziest one I saw when I was working with Garth Richardson um, he had a custom one made um, by a, a, a studio tech in Vancouver who built, he also built Metallica studio. He's huge studio builder. Rest in, may he rest in peace. But that reamp box had like a drag feature on it as well. And you could, you could alter the impedance. It was, it was fucked. It was crazy. Huh. That is interesting. Yeah. Anyways, I'll stop gear porn, Bruce. <laughs> yeah, we can go back to uh, we can go back to Devil Driver since that's what the whole. Uh... Yeah, I, I gotta say, this was doing much less for me than Extreme Bondage or Gang Bangs or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't. I could talk about my pussy melter pedal. I do have that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. But does it actually melt pussies, or is it false advertising? <laughs> well. It, it, it's made by Steel Panther, so I, I do believe it. It does actually melt pussies. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm inclined to agree. <laughs> <laughs> it says right there on the box. So it... 
I don't think they'd lie. That's what she said. Um, okay, Bruce, I'll let you take it over because I led this down a gear path. Oh, you're, you've gone down down the gear road here. So, so if you're how to take your double album here, do you have a track that speaks to you the most? That has the most meaning to you on the mall? I know they all have intense meanings and they're your babies, but is there one that's resonates with you more than others? I would say "Keep Away from Me." That was that was the, my most favorite song when all when when the record was done. That's that was actually before we started recording it. I, I like that song the best, and it remained the best for me after the, you know, the it was done because everything could change so much once Des puts his vocals on it. You know, it right, could right. It, it makes it sound like almost like a completely different song in a lot of ways, but. Yeah, I've always just really been into that song. Awesome. I know I saw you guys on 70,000 Tons of Metal a couple years ago on the pool deck, and I was just blown away. Oh, thanks, man. That was a good show. Yeah, that was a great show. It was the middle of the day, too, right? It was like in the afternoon sometime. Yeah. Sun was signed, but it was great. I was so hungover that day. (laughs) (laughs) You don't say. I went, I woke up early before that. No, I didn't wake up early. We had some interviews, and then I had like, an hour of free time, and I ran over to that uh, that wave pool thing that yeah, they yeah. had, and because I had to try it, I'd never been on one before, so I had about an hour, and I remember doing that thing. Just it actually did make me feel a little bit better, despite my hangover. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, seventy thousand tons of metal was fun, man. That uh, I definitely would do that again. It's, I'm so jealous. Everybody's been there except me. It, it's hard not to be hung over on that boat, though. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. buying you drinks. Like I, I went to go check my bill at the, you know, on the last day, and I was expecting it to be like four hundred dollars or something like that, and it was like sixty bucks. What? Oh my god! I'm Everyone just... kept buying me drinks, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll take a drink, sure." Yeah. <laughs> my, my bill is sixty bucks before I even get to my room. <laughs> nice. Yeah, some of the other band members spent upwards of four or five hundred dollars on on that trip. I mean, it's oh, so sure. easy. They give you that bracelet, so you're, you're not keeping track. It's not like your your wallet's getting empty. Yeah, cat. You know, so they just scan that wristband of yours, and dude, that's that's a that's a dangerous thing to do when uh, <laughs> drinking and that many people. Yeah, throw throw people at a metal festival and don't let them know how much money they're spending. Go. <laughs> <laughs> And you're not getting off the boat until you pay it. So go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, isn't it like everybody's favorite drink? Free alcohol. You know, it's the best oh, yeah. when you yeah. play the gig and everybody else is buying after. How, out of curiosity, how did you guys end up getting on that boat? Uh, you mean, how did we get booked for it? Yeah, yeah. Like, did they call you? Did you call them? Because I know a lot of bands now, they phone them because they want to they want to be a part of that festival you know what i don't know i don't really handle any of those kind of aspects with the band i just sometimes i'll find out about tours through the internet (laughs) (laughs) from des it's just like oh i guess we're doing this tour all right that works oh we're in europe in three weeks all right Usually, no, I know. I, I usually I have at least a couple months to prepare, but 
it doesn't bother me anymore. It's, you know, I understand that managers have a lot of people they have to deal with. So it's just kind of, you know, get it done, get it booked. And it's, it's not like any of the the people in the band are going to be like, Oh, I can't do this then. I mean, it's our job. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I just, just go wherever the the plane or the, the tour bus takes me. That's awesome. Chris, you got anything else? I don't, man. Thanks for joining us today. And I really appreciate the gear talk. Yeah, no problem, man. I love talking about that stuff. Yeah, as hell. Thank you, Mike. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) No kidding. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Stay safe. Yeah, you too. See you guys. Well, man. Cheers. Take care. Bye. Bye. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.